Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. What does it mean when a company's share price falls to cheap prices and executive insiders don't buy more? My question is, how much of your portfolio should you put into like ETFs and mutual funds? I had a question about Dutch Bros. It's going to be a new IPO. And provides unbiased answers. I think the bet on the raw materials that go into electric cars are going to be far better than the electric car producers. Invest Talk across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, January 12th, 2021 edition of Invest Talk. And as we move through the first part of this year, change is, is in the air. And change can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing, uh, depending on if you are positioned for it, if you're set up for it, if you are ready to take advantage of that change. How you react to that change will make a huge difference in the results in the end. And so you want accurate performance analysis. Uh, You want better strategies going forward. And I'm going to help you with that on this show. And of course, you want specific answers to your questions. And that's why we answer your calls. Whether they're live calls or they're recorded calls, we love helping answer those questions, give you some perspective, give you the pros and cons of everything that you're discussing, and help you take that next step in building your own version of financial freedom. Everyone's version is a little bit different, and we're here to just give you the tools. It's not just about the answers. It's not just about giving you, oh, you should buy this stock or that stock. It's helping you understand how you come to that conclusion of buying or selling or holding, whether you should be overweight one sector or another, one asset class or another. And when you go and buy an investment or make an investment, you are doing it with your eyes wide open, weighing the pros and cons. So on today's program and podcast, I'm going to operate with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success. That's my assurance that I am here to present all of this without bias, whether I'm talking about a particular sector, strategy, or stock. I'm just here to give you the facts. I have a lot of data in in front of me, a lot of systems that I can pull up and, and pull from and start to give you some data and perspective of over 20 plus years of investment experience that will help guide you. So I encourage you to reach out to me with your finance or investment question at 888-989-CHART. You can do that right now during our live stream program, or if you're listening after hours, which I know a lot of you are doing, you can leave your message on our anytime voice bank. Either way, that number never changes. Like I said, 888-99-CHART. So let's get right to our first listener question now. 
Hello, Justin. Hello, Steve. Longtime listener, Tony from Louisville. I have a question about Umana, ticker symbol uh, Hotel Uniform Mike. It's dropped about 100 points in the past, uh, i say the last two days. And I was wondering if you thought this would be a good place to uh, buy in at this particular point. I believe that they're down mainly on a, a, a Medicare outlook. I guess Medicare was cut. So just wondering what you guys thought of Humana. Thanks a lot. Bye. Yeah, they did have a big tumble down about 20% in one day on them cutting their Medicare enrollment outlook. Now, I don't know exactly why. I'd have to really dig into the details and how much that brings down their uh, expected earnings for next year. Now, analysts are expected expecting $20.52 for full year 2021. So remember, their uh, earnings season is coming up here. And there's going to be, they're going to have an earnings report and we'll see what their full year for last year is. But it's not about this year, or sorry, last year. It's about this year. For 2020, they expected almost $24 a share, all-time high in earnings. But I'm also seeing analysts start to bring those estimates down. And so that's the worry is what is what does that mean? What 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 does that mean for earnings? Are they gonna go from twenty dollars and change in earnings last year now to to negative as analysts start to adjust their expectations? Um that's the big question. So until I get an answer to that and you get this getting above major resistance, which right now is right around four hundred and twenty dollars a share, now we're at three hundred and ninety-five. Uh, then this would be uh, this would be a no for me. I would still wait. I'd be patient on it. And I think the healthcare providers, excuse me, the health insurance providers, broadly have a lot of risk. They've done very very well under Obamacare. It was basically written by by the industry. Uh, but more and more, you're getting more push towards uh, Medicare for all and, and more scrutiny on drug prices and just the entire industry because healthcare inflation is much higher and has been much higher for a long period of time. So I think uh, there's a lot more regulatory risk from that in the long term. And that's what worries me. Um, so it's still a slow grower revenue last quarter only up 3% year over year and trading at over 20 times earnings. So I'm going to pass on Humana for now until I really understand its shift in its Medicare uh, Advantage franchise and its, uh, its outlook there. And so um, I'm going to be patient on Humana. It's interesting. Still a solid company, uh, but it's not a buy for me yet. Just simply not cheap enough, and there's not enough clarity on that front uh, for me to get excited about the name. All right. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this question. Will higher inflation readings cause the Fed to raise interest rates early? We're going to dig into the CPI numbers and what the Fed, what, what Jerome Powell said yesterday in his testimony to Congress and his confirmation hearing and all that's going to be very vital to how this year's year goes. How does policy evolve both on the fiscal and the monetary side? Remember, the fiscal is the purse strings of Congress. Monetary is what's happening with the Fed and whether they're uh, on a more hawkish path or more dovish path. Right now, they're in a pretty hawkish path. Is that going to accelerate, decelerate? We're going to talk about all of that. Also, what are people's New Year's resolutions, personal finance resolutions? 
kind of want to go over that and give you some perspective from people in different age groups and different demographics. And I thought uh, this was interesting because it's always uh, it's always good to see what people are thinking. And then lastly, cryptocurrency moving into car the carbon market. How much uh, what what the trends will be there and where the investment opportunities will be potentially. So that's what's on my docket for today. But ultimately, I want to know what's on your docket. What do you want to talk about? So give me a call, 888-989-CHART. Let's take a look at the market today. You have the S&P up 13 points, so a modest update overall, kind of a flat day if you look at it from, from start to finish. We opened right around this level and closed right around this level, and so it was, it was more of a pause day. The, the NYSE, that was up uh, 60 points, and you really had strength in energy. That hit a fifth, new 52-week high. Financials also had a nice, uh, nice day. Um, uh, let's see. I'm just looking at the different uh, sectors here. Actually, the Qs uh, up, uh, up decently today. So it was a very modest up day. Small cap growth actually had the worst. Uh, looked like the the worst day down uh, on average 1.1 percent. Uh, what what kind of the the blend companies kind of kind of secular growers. Um, they were up uh, about a quarter of a percent. So it was a, a modest up day. I think you're still now getting into earnings season as we start to get uh, the banks reporting at the end of this week. And the, the market's now going to turn to that. I think that earnings are going to come in pretty good. And that might power the market higher. And I don't think there's going to be a ton of news from the Fed uh, for a while now that Jerome Powell has uh, has has uh, done his confirmation hearing and kind of given his thoughts. And I think it will all come down to the economic data, which we're obviously going to dig into here for the rest of the show is what will inflation look like? What is the job? Uh, what are the job numbers look like and how that is going to evolve? And I think that's going to inform where monetary policy is going for the rest of the year. Now we're moving into a quick break. I'm here. I'm taking your finance and investment questions, and this is your chance to get your questions in and inter- interact with me as I provide answers to your questions, your situation. And that's why I encourage you to call Invest Talk at 888 chart No two investors have an identical portfolio. So each investor will have different questions. I guess I'm wondering how I should kind of diversify. If the questions specific to your portfolio aren't being asked, your situation is not addressed. And I wanted your thoughts on the cannabis market. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein take Invest Talk listener questions each weekday during the program live stream in the 4 to 5 p.m. hour Pacific time. The Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes, so your questions are always welcome. As a newer investor, my question concerns positions. You have the right to remain silent, but why would you when anything you ask will be used to help you create your financial freedom? I think it'll probably go higher. And so I would keep a tight stop on it. So don't forget to call Invest Talk 888 99 Chart. 
Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hello, this is Bob from Ohio. And my question more pertains to justice. Last week, you said that we keep calling about the story stocks and we need to invest in companies with cash flow and profitability. Looking back at that in the, you know, recent performance that they've had, it seems to be in the, you know, mid to maybe mid to high single digits. Why don't, you know, you say not to invest in these other companies, but they are the ones that are showing, you know, returns over the past few years. So how do you recommend to me as a younger investor to fight those higher returns with these quality companies. Thank you. Well, what I'm saying is there's a shift in in, in the market. Um, you know, the companies that had done well, a lot of them have, have fallen uh, dramatically. I just think of uh, Zoom, uh, which was barely kind of break even pre pandemic and suddenly started to make a bunch of money. And the stock went from 60 all the way to a 50 week high of $451 excuse me, actually an all-time high of uh, closer to $600. So it went up a thousand percent roughly. And now it's down 62% from its high and coming back down to earth and, and uh, more along the lines of a, a traditional telecom company, mo- maybe modest, uh, modest growth uh, and reasonable multiples. And the, you know, this is, this is, you call it a story stock. Um, and, and there was, a lot of stories spun with with Zoom and the fact that they were going to move into VoIP and and the idea that this was going to take over the world instead of just re- what reality is is that they're one of many uh, video conferencing software companies. There's a lot of them, and they're all roughly similar. Um, some a little bit better than others, some more expensive than others. Obviously, Zoom has a bit of a head start. But the whole story was that they were going to take over the, the whole industry. But clearly, that's not the case. And their business model is a lot more challenged. And so this is just what's happening here is that younger investors, and this is typical, new investors focus on things that they understand they know. In this world, especially if you're younger, you are more familiar with how technology companies work. They're more interesting. They're more exciting. And there's a lot of capital flowing there because that's where, frankly, there is a lot of growth. But as new sectors evolve and money, hot money uh, kind of flows in, valuations across the board go up dramatically. But as either money flows out, money gets tighter, money gets more expensive. It separates the the wheat from the chaff. And you've seen that over the past year or so. As a lot of these names that don't make money, I call them Ponzi stocks, you call them story stocks, but companies that typically aren't cash flow positive, that are reliant on issuing shares to keep their business going, those stocks are under pressure. And you can just go look at the ARC fund and, and look at the vast majority of those names. And of those are the examples of the story stocks. Um, and you don't want to look at what happened over uh, just the last three, three, five years. Um, because once again, the majority of that time is when 
money was flowing to those names, when inflation was relatively low, when multiples were expanded, when monetary policy was very, very loose. And in those environments, growth stocks were doing well. But what you're starting to see, and you know, today's a good example where um, you know energy continues to, to kind, of, kind of grind higher, industrials, financials, basic materials, those continue to hit 52-week highs, whereas ARC Fund continues to go to 52-week lows. And that is a trend that is going to likely continue as long as inflation remains relatively high, as long as the Fed is more of on, on a tightening path than a loosening path. So you have to be uh, under, you have to understand that and adjust accordingly. We're heading to a break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. For investors, the goal of achieving financial freedom requires unbiased information, strategic planning, and determination. Congratulations. You found the podcast that is dedicated to helping you succeed. Invest Talk. Steve and Justin welcome your questions anytime on the Invest Talk listener line. 888 99Chart. And my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. Will higher inflation readings cause the Fed to raise interest rates early? Now, we did have the CPI numbers come out today, and the headline number was 7% overall. The core number came on a little bit lighter than that at about 5.5%. Now, economists had expected the CPI number, the broad one, to come in at 7%, and that was uh, that pretty much was in line. They expected month over month to come at 0.4%. It actually came in at 047 so a, a slight increase there, but basically on target. So there really wasn't a surprise to the upside. And same with the, the core numbers. Like I said, 5.5%. Analysts were expecting 5.4%, so slight beat there. Um, month over month came in at 06 Expectation was 0.5, so core number was maybe a bit higher. But overall, you didn't get this blowout number that just blew past expectations that could put more pressure on the Fed to tighten policy, that would put more pressure on interest rates higher. And that's why you saw the 10-year today down about two basis points. And I think that's why you got a bit of a stronger market overall. Now, shelter costs came in at 4% year over year. That's the fastest pace since February of 2007 in the midst of the, 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 the housing boom back then. Used vehicle prices were up 37% year over year. Now, I think that will certainly come down. You're starting to see the supply chain become less stuck. I wouldn't say unstuck, but less stuck. And I think that's going to abate throughout the year. Gasoline prices, they were up 49.6% year over year. Now that's going to slow, but the question is with now oil over $80 a barrel, likely headed higher. I think we do see $100 a barrel at some point this year. Will that continue to put pressure on, upwards on inflation? And remember, this is one number. And the Fed never uses one number. You should never use one number as a gauge for what's happening in the economy or even a particular company. There's too many dynamics. There's too many inputs 
into all of these things. And that's why the Fed typically uses a lot of inputs. But their number one guidepost is actually their personal consumption expenditure price, expenditure price index. Uh, so we'll see what that comes. I think that uh, is released next week, I believe. And policymakers will be using a wide range of, uh, like I said, inputs. Now, one big question is COVID cases rising. That's going to have an impact on supply chains. Labor shortages uh, are, are, are persisting. Uh, we had two employees uh, actually test positive yesterday and today for uh, COVID, and luckily we're fairly remote and we can you know we can we can work remotely, so that's not a big issue. But a lot of businesses can't. So I think in the near term you're going to probably get a continuation of uh, inflation figures, probably a little stronger than uh, it would previously be expected. But the COVID number should peak sometime later this month uh, here in the United States. And so as we exit the first quarter and go into the second quarter, I think that's when you're really going to see a deceleration in inflation pressures. Now, real average hourly earnings, they actually post a small increase, 0.1%. But on a real basis, year over year, declined 2.4%. So, you know, talk about a tight labor market, but that's not, it's not as tight enough to be be overwhelming the inflation picture. And so the big question is, if the Fed raises rates, will that will that do enough to bring inflation down? Or is this simply a supply issue? Obviously, there's always supply and demand dynamics, and you have to look at both sides. And typically, the Fed is only, their only control is on the demand side. Lowering the cost of capital or increasing the cost of capital, right? The cost of money is their main way of adjusting inflation or adjusting uh, the economy. And so, will they be able to solve the supply issue by lowering uh, demand? In aggregate, probably yes, but how much damage will they have to do to the economy in order to do that? That's the big question. So, Markets are pricing in a 79% chance of the first quarter point increase to come in May. So that means the Fed have a March meeting. They have one, I believe, at the end of this month. And then they have a March meeting. Maybe it's the beginning of February. I'm not sure. I have to look at the dates. Uh, but they'll have one in March. And then they'll probably indicate that in May, they're going to raise rates for the first time. That's probably the path. That's what the market's looking at. Remember, the market, uh, the, the Fed always wants to clearly, clearly show what they're likely going to do. Uh, and so, in March, they're going to indicate uh, that that May will be the rate increase. But there's a fifty percent chance that they will enact four rate hikes in 2022. That's what the market's pricing in. I don't think that'll be the case, but we will see. Now, the next best stock, the story behind this headline, three things retirees should watch in 2022. Keep an eye on inflation, interest rates, and expected spending in the year ahead. At least one expert says investors should set their initial withdrawal low in case a bad market environment materializes early on during their retirement. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? 
Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. No two portfolios are alike, and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. The best way to get answers that correspond with your situation is for you to submit your questions to Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. The 24-hour listener line never closes, so don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hello, Steve and Justin. This is Yannick from Denmark. Thanks for your advice on Disney. I'm keeping that. Had a question about Stone Co. Ticker symbol S-T-N-E. It's a company from Brazil in the fintech industry. I know you had this stock in your show on December 3rd. And you told the, the, the listener asking that to wait for 
any possible further bad news. But as you mentioned in your program on in December, there it has enormous uh, growth of uh, revenue or earnings. I can't remember which one of them. Anyways, their, their core business is growing a lot, but it's really in a downtrend, and it's now below the price of the IPO, down at fifteen dollars. Now it's owned by many great investors, such as uh, Warren Buffett in Berkshire Hathaway. And according to the recent 13F filing, it has a PE ratio of five, price book value to 0.3. It's really outstanding uh, value play, uh, judging from the latest uh, 13F filing. I was wondering if you could follow up on your take on this stock uh, since uh, December 3rd. I'd be very interested in hearing about this stock. I don't have the cash to buy it right now, but it's really, really on my watch list. Thank you, and bye. Hmm, this is an interesting one. Stone Co. Limited out of Brazil, like uh, the caller said, provides financial technology solutions for merchants and integrated partners. This is down 81.4% from its 52-week high of uh, $95 and, and, and change. Now it's at... $17 and change. It has started to trade sideways here, right in the, the high teens, and starting to look a bit better technically. Now it's not above the 50 day moving average, which currently is at $19.80. And the current price is 1765. So still some work to do on that front. But the downward momentum is slowing dramatically. And that's the first sign of a potential turnaround. Now, earnings are expected for 2021 to be 17 cents. So uh, based on that, it's trading at about 100 times earnings. But based on forward earnings of 51 cents, it's still trading at a pretty expensive 35 times. Now, their business is up and down. Uh, you're going to have currency risk with the Brazilian real. And... I would worry about that. But my main worry is, why did it drop so much? Earnings expectations are coming down as well. So analysts are becoming less bullish on it, or at least on its earnings. Uh, but I will say the chart is intriguing. Long-term profitability is pretty solid. Now, when I say long-term, it's only been around since 2016. And the first two years, it uh, lost money and uh, had negative negative return on equity, return negative earnings. Uh, but trailing 12 months, its free cash flow is about 2.4 billion real. Uh, so it's positive. I like that. And certainly, they've been benefited from the COVID shutdowns. Um, uh, but I have to dig into this. This is a tough one because it's a Brazilian company. I'd really have to understand the, the, the risks there. They're uh, not only currency risk, but geopolitical risks. And what they do, how much is their growth? You know, how concentrated is their growth? Uh, so it's hard for me to really comment on the stability of the, the fundamental backdrop. But the technicals, like I said, are starting to look a bit better just simply because it stopped going down for the past two months. And that's the first thing you want to see for a big turnaround. So on a flyer, small percentage of your portfolio, you want to gain foreign exposure, you want to gain uh, international exposure, and you've done a little bit of work to understand why this has fallen and that uh, their businesses are going to completely fall off a cliff, which you know analysts are downgrading their expectations, but it's uh, not like they're going to be uh, supposed to lose money this year. 
Um, so if you've done a little bit of work and you feel comfortable there, uh, I think technically you can buy a bit of this for a flyer. Now let's go to Richard in Santa Clarita. Let's talk about inflation. Yes. Hi, Justin. Um, I'm a regular listener, a big fan of the show. Appreciate it. Uh, my question re- uh, regarding inflation, um, I, I'm going along with what uh, your take on GDX and GLD and holding, because I did continue to buy a bit of it this year. Uh, also, just kind of listening uh, to your forecast, but I'm going to stick with it. But my question is another strategy towards inflation. Uh, I also have a position with uh, INFL, the Kinetics. Uh, it is an inflation ETF mm-hmm. that invests in companies that do well uh, with inflation. And I was just wondering, do you think INFL is a is a good idea to increase position with? Do you think that's a good ETF to be in with, given uh, inflation forecasts? Yeah, I like INFL. And now it's a bit expensive, 0.85% expense ratio. But you get more uh, broad-based exposure to inflationary type of uh, companies. And so I, I like that. I like companies that, uh, that, that you are – to gain exposure to companies that typically do well in an inflationary environment. And this one has about 41 different names. And some are overvalued. Some are very small. Some are, 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 are undervalued. So, but you get a pretty broad-based exposure. It's mainly going to be in financial services, basic materials, and energy. So that's 70 plus percent of uh, of the portfolio. And then you have 8% in real estate. So you're talking about 80 plus percent of the portfolio in areas that we really like. Technology only 2%. So pretty low there. Uh, Low and zero utilities, um, which typically in an inflationary environment, you probably don't want a a ton of those. So, you know, I I, I like this overall. Um, You know, are there better ways? Sure. Uh, You can do it kind of on your own. Uh, But if you're trying to look for a broad-based diversified solution that will have a good exposure to the inflationary side of the market, I think this is a decent ETF. Mm -hmm. And you think it price-wise now is still fairly high uh, value-wise, or do you think it's at a reasonable price what it's at right now? Well, remember, this is a diversified set of of assets, Uh, a lot of different companies here. Like I said, 41 different companies, and some are overvalued, some are undervalued. The average P.E. ratio is 18. The average price sales is 2.3, which is... Not cheap, but not expensive. But once again, you could probably dig into this uh, the holdings and find particular names that you uh, like better than others. Uh, and that might be one way to go, that find the cheaper names within this particular ETF, or, um, uh, yeah, ETF. Remember, they have to publish what their holdings are. And so that's maybe one way uh, of going uh, about it. Uh, it. It's not cheap, it's not expensive, but it is owning the type of companies that typically do well in an inflationary environment. And if you're looking at a, you know, like a 15, 20 year uh, time span, would this be something, would you think just buy and hold if you'd, you know, held it for 15 years, even uh, good, I, you know, good idea because even when inflation decreases, just to buy and hold uh, long-term, what do you think of that idea? Well, once again, this is uh, about inflation. So if inflation is, consistently high long-term, this should do well. 
but that's, as you know, over time, that can ebb and flow. Uh, and I think that's going to be the case for the next decade plus is you're going to get bouts of inflation and then it's going to cool off and come back lower. And, and something like this is going to underperform for a period of time. Uh, but over an extended period of time, and, and this is what my belief is and our belief at KPP Financial is that we are now in the post-World War II playbook uh, into uh, from then until the, the, the 70s, which is basically keep interest rates low. The Fed at that point did yield curve control, and governments went there and went out and spent. They spent on infrastructure, and they, they created dollars, uh, borrowed money, and went out there and created above-average inflation. And what that did was uh, post-World War II, our debt-to-GDP ratio was around 120, 120%. Right now, we're... Uh, around that level as well. Uh, but by the early 80s, you had debt to GDP ratio at, down to 30%. That's why, the, that's why the Fed could raise rates dramatically because overall leverage in the economy was very, very low. And so it took many decades of keeping inflation above the cost of borrowing from the, from the government to slowly, year after year, whittle down that debt-to-GDP debt ratio uh, over time. And I think they're going to try to run that same playbook. So we're likely to see uh, an inflationary environment for a consistent period of time talking about many, many years, maybe even a decade or two or three. Uh, and so if that's the case, something like INFL broadly will do better than, than the in indices. Uh, but you can always have bouts where maybe the government uh, becomes more divided and there's fis fiscal spending isn't really there. Um, and so that's a possibility as well. Uh, but as long as the inflationary picture remains relative, relatively robust, this will do pretty well. Thanks for the call, Richard. 888 chart 888 We have about 10 more minutes left in the show to get your call in, so I encourage you to do that right now. Now, yesterday, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell sat in front of Congress in his confirmation hearing and answered some questions, and there were some interesting tidbits from what he said. He called inflation a severe threat to the economic recovery and said that the, our, the, the Fed is prepared to raise interest rates to because the economy no longer needs emergency support. Simple as that. Now, he was optimistic that supply chain issues would ease sometime this year and bring down inflation. But he basically said that inflation will stay elevated and the Fed is ready to step on the brakes and raise interest rates over time. I think the market reacted positively, though, because he was saying that they will remain flexible and nimble. And meaning that if there is the economic, if there are, are the economic numbers to support maybe slowing down tightening, uh, that they, they will do that. Uh, and so I think that's what really got the market reacting so far yesterday and today with the dollar going down. Now, in November, President Biden renominated Jerome Powell, who was a Republican, but they want him to have a second term, bipartisan support. And even though he is a Republican, uh, there's still been a lot of criticism, especially from uh, the Republicans. Senator Richard Shelby asked, that why he's concerned that the Fed missed the boat on addressing inflation sooner. And he thinks the Fed, under uh, Jerome Powell's leadership, 
lost a lot of credibility. And maybe that's the case. Now, he said that the, they could shrink the portfolio of bonds later this year to tighten financial conditions and that there's a long road to normal from where we are today. And I think that was a big statement that they're not going to go super fast, but they are on a tightening policy regime and they will, they're prepared to pivot and uh, a lot of the market is surprised at how fast they have pivoted. Now, he still says there's there's issues. It's not just about inflation. It's about unemployment. That fell at 3.9% in December from 5.9% in June. So the labor market is tightened in, uh, in a quick period of time. And it's lower than it was four years ago, the unemployment rate. And so this is the, all these factors are bringing the Fed to a tightening cycle, but the market liked that he was acting flexible. Now let's grab another voice bank question. This came in earlier from a listener in Georgia. Hi, Stephen, Justin. This is Chris from Atlanta. I wanted to get your opinion on gaming and leisure properties incorporated, GLPI. I was looking to get into a real estate investment trust. This one kind of passed my screen. It has like a 5% dividend currently paying out, low P versus others in the field. I wanted to see what you thought about this to fill in a position on for real estate in my portfolio. Look forward to hearing your answer. Thanks for everything you do. All right, this is Gaming and Leisure Properties. This is a REIT engaged in owning, acquiring, developing, and managing, and leasing gaming and related facilities. It mainly it's uh, it mainly leases its facilities to Penn National Gaming throughout the United States. It operates GLP Capital and TRS property divisions. Let's see, the vast majority of its revenue comes from leasing to uh, Penn National Gaming. Let's see, they're located mostly in the Midwest. They looks like they operate the Hollywood Casino uh, in Baton Rouge as well as Perryville. So that's the most significant income stream for GLP. So the question would be, what do you like uh, about that particular business? Um, do you think there's going to be growth in their properties uh, and the potential for increase in, in rents? Because if you look at their funds from operation, remember that's how REIT earnings are kind of reported as. They're not really earnings, they're funds from operation. 2019 is $3.45. What is it expected to be in 2021? $3.45. 2022, $3.56, 3% growth. Pretty low growth there, which I don't like. Now, yielding 6%, that's nice. Uh, but the question is, where's the growth coming from? I'm not really seeing it. So I don't hate it. I think uh, there's definitely worse out there. But if I'm looking for in the REIT space, I want something with better secular tailwinds. And I wouldn't just be focused on that dividend. Because the dividend can ebb and flow. In fact, 2019, they paid $2.74. Now that's dropping all the way to two fifty nine can go up and it can go down. And so technically it's weakening. It's making a series of lower highs and lower lows. So this is not a name that I would get excited about. Now we're heading into our final break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. 
This is Invest Talk. For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Steve and Justin is so valuable. The Invest Talk Anytime listener lines are open now, and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call 888 99 Chart. Hey, Steve and Justin. Brady from Indiana. I've been listening for some time now. Really enjoy you guys' insight. I'm calling today about ticker symbol Y-E-L-L. And the reason I'm calling is a little different than probably most callers, but my father-in-law has worked for Yellow for about 30 years now. And my analysis of the company, which I'm young and pretty new to this, but it seems a little bit worrisome to me. Their increase in debt, decrease in cash flow, decrease in assets, just wondered if you guys could spend a few minutes or so and analyze the company for me. I just wondered if what your opinion was on the company going forward into an environment where it's going to cost more money to finance debt. I appreciate the information. Keep up the good work. All right. Great question. This is Y-E-L-L, Yellow Corp Ordinary Shares. And this used to be, I believe, Yellow Trucking. I think they went bankrupt some years back and uh, emerged from that. Supposed to lose money last year and make money this year. Expected. Uh, But their business is so up and down. Some years they make money. Some years they, they lose money. And their cash flow is over the last decade almost consistently negative. Only what two, three years out of those seven has it actually had positive free cash flow. It's issued more and more shares, especially as of late. 33 million shares outstanding pre-pandemic. Now we're at 51 million, so issuing a bunch of bunch more shares. Uh, you're right; they do have a, a decent amount of debt on their balance sheet, uh, and that worries me. About a billion dollars or so in uh, net debt. And a $500 million market cap. So there's definitely a lot of leverage there. Not a name that I would be investing in, especially look at the current market environment uh, when it comes to trucking. And that's what they do. Uh, They're in the transportation business. And those businesses have done very, very well for the most part. Uh, But clearly, uh, whether it's their assets or their leadership, they're not they're not doing very well. At least that's what the uh, the figures say. And they're not benefiting shareholders. And there continues to be in a downtrend. And uh, like you said, a lot of debt, cost of capital going up, cost of debt going up. <clears throat> and so I would definitely pass on Yellow Corp. I would be uh, trying to unload shares as opposed to buy them. It's Y-E-L-L is the symbol. Now let's touch a bit on... Some interesting, uh, interesting things happening in the carbon credit markets and the cryptocurrency markets. And what's happening here is that in recent months, a lot of these carbon credits are being taken out of the market, and they're being put on something uh, on the blockchain, uh, something called base carbon ton. That's what the tokens are called. BCT. So not BTC. Bitcoin is usually BTC. This is BCT. And this is supposed to bring more transparency to a very opaque market. And that's really the issue with carbon credits and the whole ESG movement overall. There's not a lot of standard practices. And many companies aiming to compensate for their emissions 
by these credits representing a reduction in greenhouse gases. But each one, each credit stands for one metric ton of carbon. And they come from projects like planting trees or uh, investing in renewable energy, farms, solar panels, uh, you know, deploying solar, solar panels, wind, etc. And usually you get a third party certificate. But there still is not common rules and not a whole lot of transparency in the market, even though it's fast growing. There's a hodgepodge of standards, murky pricing, and it's hard to compare credits to make sure that projects actually benefit the climate. So yes, it might be a third party, but how, how credible is that third party actually giving the, the credits? And what are the standards? So they're trying to make this more transparent, but there's still a long way from it. And I think it's really gonna take governments to, to come in and clamp down hard uh, and create unified standards for this to actually work in practice uh, because I think a lot of it is greenwashing and not really having the desired effect that most people want um, but so we're a ways away from that but interesting project going on there to put on the blockchain now I'm Justin Klein this completes another invest talk program Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free download free downloads now closing in on 38 million thanks to you Get yours anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and be sure to rate and review. And if you leave a question with your iTunes review, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered and offered to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein, chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial.